episode of Counterculture Parents. I'm Kurt Bruner, your host. On our last episode, we listened to the first part of an interview I conducted with author Rod Dreyer. Uh, Rod and I were talking then about his book, The Benedict Option, and we were wrapping up that part of the conversation and moving into a discussion of his more recent book called Live Not by Lies. As you'll hear, Rod's book grew out of his interviews with a number of former dissidents from the Soviet Union who lived under communism, who lived under the pressure that they experienced in that context in their history, and the parallels to some of the things that we're encountering in the West. And one of the reasons I was excited to talk to Rod about this particular book is because of the experience I've had working with Christians who are living in much more antagonistic contexts, who have lived under great oppression, great persecution uh, for their Christian faith, and yet have maintained faithfulness and have instilled Christian faith in their children so that they could stand strong and, in fact, in many ways, have a stronger sense of their Christian identity than they might have had had they raised them in the comforts of the West. So with that, let's listen to the second part of my interview with Rod Dreyer, where we were discussing his book, Live Not by Lies. You know, when we first started talking about this, I was thinking about one of the most amazing Christians I ever met. He was a Coptic bishop. I met him at a conference in Istanbul, a youngish man to be a bishop, but uh, he was just radiant. He he had the peace of Christ like few people I've ever met. We sat at breakfast one day at this hotel, at this conference. He told me about the sort of things his people were suffering in Upper Egypt, and it just, my jaw dropped. Uh, This was their everyday life, and yet this man had so much palpable joy. It's like, I want to know, I want what he has. You know, because Christians like me living in this culture where we're not persecuted remotely as, as bad as they are, you know, I'm so anxious all the time, but it doesn't have to be that way. And a man like that, and you, you see these Christians all the time, um, the fact that they, this is how they live, it, is, uh, it, it can be shaming at one level because, I mean, I've been given so much and I'm not grateful for it. And look, they have nothing and yet they have, they have Christ, so they have everything. But it's also inspiring. Well, it's almost as if Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. It, that's a mystery to us in the, in the West, but we've seen it tangibly in interacting with those who, who live that every day of their lives. And so let's not fear what's in front of us. Right. Let's, let's recognize we're about to enter the norm of the Christian experience. History has history. finally come into us. Yeah. Years ago, uh, maybe five, six years ago, Christianity Today had on its cover, I remember the cover story, and it was uh, a picture of, I think it was a picture of Jesus, but it was talking about church, what's happened with churches. And the, the title was something to the effect of hipper than thou versus mm. holier than thou. And how we've had a generation of churches that are trying to be as relevant as possible and as hip as possible with the new generation. And that's actually the defining characteristic more than uh, being orthodox or distinctively Christian. What I take hope in, though, is that the younger generation doesn't, isn't buying that. Right. They want an authentic, uh, they, they want what the older generation had, not what that middle baby boomer generation had, if, if I could put yeah. it that way. And nothing wrong with all of what the baby boomer generation tried to do in terms of reaching people and living their moment. But there is a younger generation that's coming up and saying, 
listen, I want to listen to the, the people who endured hardship, right, right. people who who have something mysterious that can't be put into an argument or mm-hmm. such. And there's a beauty to it, right? There's a beauty. One of the things I said to my son the other day was, you know, we make fun of or laugh at the couple that got married as virgins and uh, only had intimacy with one another their mm-hmm. whole life. But we sure admire the way they look in each other's eyes. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's a beauty to it that I think is attractive to the next generation that is really tired of the dehumanization that's taking yeah, place. And they're tired of being sold something. Yeah. Nothing dates faster than something that's hip, mm-hmm. you know? Rod, earlier we uh, referenced uh, Live Not By Lies, which is your latest book, and actually uh, widely read, uh, and I'm talking to a lot of people who are reading it. It's interesting because it's a book that grows out of your uh, interaction with those who've endured much more severe Mm-hmm. antagonism, right? And uh, so tell a bit of the story of what led you to write that sure. book. Well, it started in 2015. The state of Indiana had passed a state version of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, and uh, for the first time ever, big business came down like a ton of bricks in the culture war on the state of Indiana. Apple, Salesforce, NCAA said that if you don't take away this bigoted law, there will be consequences. And that was it, because that was the first time big business had gotten involved in the culture war. Really got to this woman, an elderly woman up in Michigan. Um, And her son, her son called me one day. He was a prominent physician. One of his patients was a friend of mine. And he said, I need to tell a journalist what my mother said to me. He said, my mother was a political prisoner in her homeland, Czechoslovakia. In the 50s, the communists put her in prison for being a Vatican spy. What that meant was she refused to stop going to prayer meetings at her Catholic church when the communists told her to stop, so they put her in prison and tortured her. She came to America after she was released and you know, married and raised her family here, and she's living was living at the time with her son and his wife. And she's watching the Memories Pizza thing. She said to her son, son, the things I'm seeing happen in this country remind me of what it was like when communism first came to my home country. And the son was really rattled by this, so he said, I need to tell somebody. Well, I, I took the phone call and thanked him for his time, but I said, you know, my mom sits at home alone. She's a widow. She watches a lot of, a lot of cable TV and gets scared. That's probably what's happening here. But just to check, I made a point of whenever I would meet at a conference or in my travels, someone who came to America from the former Soviet Union or the Soviet bloc, I would ask them, are the things you're seeing happen here now with cancel culture, wokeness, all this, does it remind you of what you left behind? Kurt, every single one of these people said yes. And if you press them on it, you would find that they're really angry at Americans for not seeing it. And so that's where the book came from. I, I, the first half of Live Not By Lies, it's a title I got from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the best-known anti-communist dissident. Uh, the first half of the book is an analysis of the situation they see in America. It's not Stalinism 2.0, but it is a form of totalitarianism. The second half of the book is based on travels I did to the, the old countries to talk to Christians who stayed behind and who endured. I sat down with them and asked them, what do we in the West need to know? We Christians need to know about how to prepare ourselves for the trials that are coming. What are some of the things they would say, look, look what's happening and here's how it's similar, 
even though it's not coming from the government. Right. Yeah, our idea of totalitarianism is based on the experience of the 20th century where uh, the totalitarian states, Nazi Germany, Communist Russia, uh, that was, uh, there were one-party states where the government controlled everything. Well, we don't have that now, so how can you call this totalitarianism? Well, it's very, very subtle, and this is the hard-soft distinction. Under hard totalitarianism, this is the George Orwell 1984 story. The government controls everything and wants to not only control you politically, but take your soul. And, it's China today. It's China today, yeah. And, uh, but the hard totalitarians want to do this by pain and terror. Soft totalitarians, it's more like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, where everybody lives in a fully controlled environment, but what they, they want to try to lure you into, uh, into surrendering your liberty and your soul for pleasure. You know, they give you, in Brave New World, they give you all the sex you want, all the entertainment you want. They take care of you. Uh, Mustafa Mann, the world controller, uh, one of the dictators, calls it Christianity without tears. Under standard political theory, totalitarianism is where one party or one leader has all the power in the state, and the state controls everything. We're not dealing with that here. What we're dealing with is institutions in our society, in our liberal democracy, starting with universities, then it went to the media, sports, big business, most important of all, now even the military. They're all playing from the same woke playbook. They all have accepted this illiberal progressive ideology uh, as the successor to old-fashioned classical liberalism. And so you don't need the government to do these things when every institution in society has already adopted this totalitarian ideology. And this has consequences. This is part of soft totalitarianism. And the people from the Eastern Bloc who lived under hard totalitarianism, they see that what's happening now with people being afraid to say what they really think, people, not, people having to worry about what they say today that's perfectly fine, maybe used against them tomorrow, people losing their jobs for political reasons, all of this is how it started in their countries. And they, they say today to me, uh, they say, what's going to stop it here? There's nothing to stop it here because now that the, the, the major uh, institutions in Western society have all gone woke, you know, who's, where's the pushback coming from? Well, of course, the answer is and was in their context was the church. Uh, what happened in the, in the fall of communism was largely led by those who refused, in Solzhenitsyn's words, the title of your book, they refuse to live by lies. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have. To, I'm not going to be able to, to win. I'm not going to be able to push back against these these totalitarian authorities and, and win the day. And probably don't even have the courage to do so. He said, in his essay. But but we can at least not live by lies, right. which I know is why you chose the title you did for your book. In that, there's some hope, isn't there? And particularly for church leaders, again, who are helping families wrestle with these, these issues, uh, how to help our children not embrace and live according to lies. They still need wisdom in how to navigate you know, all of these dynamics. Uh, but um, isn't the church really the answer to that, or shouldn't the church be the answer? To that? Church has to be the answer to that. But as I was told frequently when I was over there interviewing these people, that they said that you shouldn't think that back during communism that all Christians were courageous dissidents. Most of them kept their heads down. 
and uh, went along, you know, go along to get along. Um, so courage was a very rare thing, even among Christians. But you know, Václav Havel, who was not a Christian, he was the uh, leader of the Czech opposition. Uh, he's a playwright, became the first president of a free Czechoslovakia. He echoed Solzhenitsyn's Live Not By Lies, the thing you just talked about. He came up with a, a, a parable in an essay he wrote of the greengrocer. He said, imagine that there's a greengrocer in the city, in communist Prague, uh, and all the business people in town have to hang a sign up saying, workers of the world unite, the communist slogan. Nobody believes it, but they all put it there so nobody will harass them. Well, the little greengrocer says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live by this lie. He takes the sign down. What happens to him? Well, the secret police come, they arrest him, they take his business away, he loses his livelihood, his family loses privileges, etc. But what has he gained by that act of uh, resistance? He has shown, said Havel, he's shown the world that it is possible to live in truth if you're willing to suffer for it. And if enough people become impressed by that and say, I'm not going to live in lies either, the totalitarian regime will crumble because the totalitarianism is so divorced from reality that it depends for, on its success for everyone being afraid to say the emperor has no clothes. So Havel called on his people to be that guy, be that greengrocer. Well, it's easy in a Christian context to see how we are called to be the greengrocer. And as Christians, we know too from the tales of the early church and all the way up to now, the tales of the martyrs, we revere our martyrs and the confessors, those who suffer for, for the gospel. And we have got to learn how to be like them. You and I have grown up in a, an American church context where so often the churches talk about Christianity as a way to success. Be a, have, live a happy life and, you know, and, and that is true and to some extent. But those days are over, my friend. They're over. We now have to look to the, the martyrs and the confessors in the world today, not only in the past, in the church's past, but in the world today, the suffering church today, because they're the ones who have what we need. They have this storehouse of, of collective memory uh, of, of what it's like to be persecuted. We had better humble ourselves to listen to them, because if we don't, we're not going to make it through what's coming. Well, and the great enemy, and maybe we'll land with this, the great enemy of, of courage is isolation. And so if every individual Christian or even every individual Christian family feels like they're the only ones, uh, they feel isolated, they mm -hmm. feel alone. And if we as church leaders can say, no, we're going to create some distinctive uh, communities who are helping make uh, a community that reinforces those difficult choices and those uh, those belief systems so that our children don't feel like they're the only one who thinks this way mm -hmm. and don't believe the lies, don't live the lies. That's going to require leadership in the church to, to recognize this is what's coming. This is what we can do to help. We can prepare the next generation, but not as isolated individuals, no, absolutely as communities. Right. And that goes back to the Benedict option, doesn't it? It does. This is where the two meet. You know, um, as I said, the second half of Live Not By Lies is practical advice from the people who suffered through communism, Christians, about what we can do. And they said several different practical things we can do. First of all, build these small communities. We have got to take advantage of the gift of liberty and time the Lord has given us and the warning he's given us through the voices of all these people who live through hard totalitarianism to start forming these networks right now because we are going to need them. I'd actually like to land us there because 
as church leaders, we're wrestling with the question of, okay, what's coming? Let's face it. Let's, let's be, uh, not be naive of what's coming. But let's also not go into despair, into, yeah. into get, get trapped in our grief. It's okay to grieve about what we're losing. But let's have the resolve to say, all right, I'm called to do what? I'm called to prepare the next generation. I'm called to create reinforcing communities so that people do not feel isolated and alone as they're facing what's coming. And so my prayer is that we'll have, through this conversation, encouraged people along those lines and encourage them to not live by lies, but also to remember communities need to experience this together, and we as church leaders can help make that a reality in coming days. I don't know how. I don't know the specifics. Every church is going to have to wrestle with this. But there is a hope in, 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 in that clarity as we move forward. So I, I agree with you, and I thank you for saying that. And, you know, we who are faithful to the gospel are minorities now in the West and going to be an increasingly besieged minority. But we are called on to live as Jews did in, in ages past and be creative and, and faithful despite our persecution. And we can do that, but we're going to need each other. And I, I can end on this. One of the things I learned from doing this research is that when these Christians in the communist world were thrown into prison, they found a sort of ecumenism of the gulag together that uh, Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox came to pray with each other and help each other because they had been separated out in the world, but when they were in prison and found each other, they knew that they weren't in prison because they were Protestant, Catholic, or Orthodox. They were in prison because they were followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is glory at the other end of this. And you know, every one of these communist, uh, Christians who are under communism I talked to, um, none of them thought that they would live to see the end of communism. But they did. We don't know what the Lord has in, in store for us. All we know is we are called to be faithful. Mm. Rod, thank you. Thank you for your ministry, for your writing, uh, for the wisdom you share, and for the encouragement. Uh, it's getting darker, but the light will therefore shine all the brighter, and uh, may we be part of that. So Amen. thank you again for joining. Thank you. I hope you found my conversation with Rod helpful. Again, the books that we were discussing were The Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies. I recommend them both. As we wrap up today, I just want to say, hey, thanks for being willing to be a counterculture parent. Uh, we need one another. We need to know that we're not alone in this. And so it's encouraging to have you along the journey with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you in part by DryFaithHome.com. We help local churches reach and disciple busy families. We'd love to help you if you're interested. Again, DryFaithHome.com. If you'd like to support our work, then give to your local church, because that is your most important reinforcing community.